Hey everyone, welcome to the Happy Flosser podcast. My name is Billy Lunt. I am your host, and I am here to talk to you about all things dental hygiene to support you on your journey through the dental hygiene program. Welcome, so glad to have you. This episode will cover the tooth morphology of the mandibular molars. It will review the class traits of the molars before we talk about the specific tooth type traits, which is also covered in the episode for the maxillary molars. So the first part will be the class traits, which might be a review if you've also listened to that episode. And then it will go right into the type traits for the mandibular molars. The first thing that we need to discuss are the class traits of the permanent molars. The permanent molars have three to five cusps. At least two of those cusps are buccal cusps. And they can either have a bifurcated or a trifurcated root. The mandibular molars have bifurcated roots, which means there are two roots. And the maxillary molars are trifurcated, which means that they have three roots. There are two buccal roots and one lingual root on all the maxillary molars. The first molars are usually the largest molars overall, and the second and third molars become progressively smaller. The number of cusps for the permanent molars equal the number of developmental lobes. So unlike the anterior teeth and the premolars, when you get to the molars, if there are five developmental lobes, those five developmental lobes turn into five cusps for a molar. If there are four developmental lobes, then there will be four cusps associated with that tooth. Another class trait for the permanent molars is that each buccal surface has a prominent cervical ridge. Now this cervical ridge runs mesiodistally on the cervical one-third of the buccal surface, and it's found on all primary teeth and permanent molars as a class trait. The crowns are shorter occlusocervically than on the anterior teeth, but they are larger in all other dimensions. The maxillary molars are wider in a buccal-lingual direction than the mandibular molars. And the mandibular molars are wider in a mesodistal direction than the maxillary molars. The permanent molars erupt just posterior to the primary second molars. They are non-sucedaneous. Their function is to grind food with very large cusps. And another important function is that they maintain the vertical dimension of the face. They are the cornerstone in occlusion due to the early eruption date and the location in the arch. And we'll talk about occlusion in a different episode. Going back to form and function, the facial and lingual shape of the permanent molars is trapezoidal. The proximal shape on the maxillary teeth is trapezoidal, so that's an arch trait. And on the mandibular teeth, the proximal shape is rhomboidal. That is also considered an arch trait. 
when we're looking at the root trunks, you want to be sure that you learn the furcation crotch and the root trunk lengths. Now, the furcation crotch is the space between the roots right at the furcation. So this is that furcal region area. Um, and it's important to learn the length of the root trunks on all of the molars, as this will help you in the clinical setting when you begin probing, especially your periodontally involved patients. So there are four characteristics of maxillary and mandibular roots. Number one, the roots become shorter the more posterior the molar is. Number two, the roots become less divided the more posterior the molar is. Number three, the roots become more varied in shape, size, and direction of curvature the more posterior the molar is. And number four, many of the root branches and furcal surfaces have concavities on them. The maxillary molar roots have three roots. There's one palatal or lingual root and two buccal roots. The lingual or palatal root is the longest root, and the distal buccal root is the shortest root. The mesial buccal root curves distally in the apical third, and the distal buccal root is usually straighter and may curve mesially in the apical third as well. When we're looking at the mandibular molar roots, there are two roots on the mandibular molars. There is one mesial root and one distal root. The mesial root is longer and stronger than the distal root. The mesial root bends distally in the apical third, and the distal root is usually a little more straight and may curve mesially or distally at its apical third. Let's take a look at the specific tooth type traits for the mandibular molars. The mandibular first molar has an eruption date of six to seven years with a root completion of nine to 10 years. Using the tooth designation system universal, these would be teeth number 19 and 30. The mesial and distal contact points are right at the junction of the occlusal and middle third. And the facial height of contour is in the cervical third and the lingual height of contour is in the middle third. The most common form for the mandibular first molar has five cusps, and this happens about 80% of the time. So just like the maxillary first molar, there are five cusps on the mandibular molar. The largest to smallest is the mesial buccal, mesial lingual, distal lingual, distal buccal, and the distal cusp. There are two roots on the mandibular first molar and they are bifurcated. They create the mesial and distal roots. The mesial root may be slightly longer and the distal root is straighter than the mesial. So this will help you differentiate right and left if it's a four cusp type. With the pulp cavity, there are five pulp horns, three pulp canals, and two of those are located in the mesial. So there are two furcation entrances. The buccal root trunk is three millimeters and the lingual root trunk is four millimeters. The furcation on the mandibular first molar is centered in a mesiodistal direction. 
there are depressions located on those roots. There are depressions on the facial and lingual root trunks, and it is deeper on the mesial root, and sometimes there is fluting. The furcation morphology is that there's less than a blade width of a new Gracie curette to fit into that furcation area. Think about how this contributes to challenging instrumentation around the furcation areas of these teeth. Looking at the buccal aspect of the mandibular first molar, it is the widest surface mesial distal of any tooth in the dentition, and that is primarily because it has that third buccal cusp. There is a very pronounced cervical ridge on the buccal aspect of the mandibular first molar, and it's most prominent in the mesial area. The mesial buccal cusp is the largest, widest, and highest cusp of the entire tooth, and the distal cusp is the smallest cusp on this tooth. The buccal cusps on the mandibular first molar are blunted and the lingual cusps are longer. So they stick out past the buccal cusps if you are looking across the occlusal plane from a buccal lingual direction. Looking at the buccal aspect of the mandibular first molar, there's a mesial buccal groove, which is just slightly mesial to the center of the buccal surface. And it almost always ends in a buccal pit. And this is significant when you're doing sealant placement. There is a distobuccal groove that is just distal to the center of the buccal surface. And in this particular groove, it is less frequent for you to see a pit. The mandibular first molar has a narrower lingual surface, which will aid in instrumentation of the interproximal spaces. The lingual groove separates the mesial lingual and distal lingual cusps and it rarely ends in a lingual pit. The proximal shape of the mandibular first molar is rhomboidal because the crown is lingually inclined on the root and tips towards the tongue. Looking at the proximal aspect on the mesial surface, there is a slight mesial concavity located on the crown of the mandibular first molar which is very similar to the maxillary first premolar, but not as profound. And it has a deep depression on the mesial root area. Looking at the distal root, it is pretty straight and there is no concavity that comes up onto the crown. So this would help you differentiate left from right, in addition to looking at the rhomboidal shape. There are five triangular ridges located on the occlusal table of the mandibular first molar, but there are no transverse or oblique ridges on any of the mandibular first molars. There is a central groove that runs in a mesial distal direction. There's a mesial buccal groove, a distal buccal groove, and a lingual groove on the occlusal table. There are three fossa located on the occlusal table of the mandibular first molar. There's a central fossa that's located in the central portion of the central groove. There's a mesial fossa and a distal fossa. The mandibular first molar is the only molar that has 
a root concavity on the mesial surface that comes up past the CEJ onto the crown. The only other tooth in the dentition that has a mesial concavity that comes up past the CEJ onto the crown is the maxillary first premolar. This is an important consideration for instrumentation and will give you a lot of help in the clinical setting when you are using your instruments and trying to adapt into these areas. The distal cusp and the distal fossa of the mandibular first molar help to depict the difference between right and left mandibular first molar. And one thing to also note is that the buccal pits and those deep occlusal pits really can increase your patient's caries risk. From an anatomy standpoint, the enamel wall is the thinnest right at the pit junctions. And think about when this tooth erupts. The age of the patient when the first molar comes in is six to seven. Also think about their diet and their dexterity and awareness of an adult tooth being in the dentition. All of these things come together to create clinical considerations that the hygienist should be aware of for the first molar. Let's take a look at the mandibular second molar. The eruption date for the mandibular second molar is 11 to 13 years with a root completion of 14 to 15 years of age. Using the universal tooth designation system, this would be tooth number 18 and 31. The proximal contact areas are in the middle third of these teeth. Looking at the root anatomy, the roots are smaller, shorter, and less divergent than the first molar. And fusion is more common than with the first molar. The distal root is straighter than the mesial root, and the pulp cavity has four pulp horns and three pulp canals, two in the mesial root and one in the distal root. The root trunk is approximately one millimeter longer than on the mandibular first molar. So let's think about this as a review. The mandibular first molar, the buccal root trunk is three millimeters and the lingual root trunk is four millimeters. So that means that the buccal root trunk of the mandibular second molar is four millimeters and the lingual root trunk is five millimeters. And these are important numbers for you to know when you start doing periodontal charting with advanced instrumentation on your periodontal patients. The root depressions are not as deep on the mandibular second molar as they are on the first molar. There is a buccal groove looking at the buccal aspect of the tooth, but it's much less frequent to have a buccal pit like you would see on the mesial buccal groove of the first molar. And the two buccal cusps are nearly the same size. The lingual groove on the mandibular second molar is centered. The mesial lingual and distal lingual cusps are the same size. And they are a little more pointed than the buccal cusps, which are blunted just like on the first molar. How will you tell the buccal from the lingual surfaces? You will tell this by the height of contour because of the rhomboidal shape of the second molar. Because the occlusal table is very symmetrical on the mandibular second molar, it's sometimes hard to distinguish left from right. 
There are four triangular ridges on the occlusal table of the mandibular second molar, and they line up so there are two transverse ridges that cross the occlusal surface. There are three different pits on the occlusal table of the mandibular second molar, the central pit and the distal and mesial pits. I have a memory tip for you. The permanent mandibular first molar comes from five developmental lobes and creates five cusps. It has five triangular ridges that do not align, so it doesn't create any transverse ridges. So it's kind of an odd tooth with an odd number of developmental lobes and an odd number of cusps. So we call him Odd Todd. The mandibular second molar is even Stephen. It has four equally sized cusps, triangular ridges that align to create two transverse ridges. So everything is very neat and organized on the permanent mandibular second molar. So this is even Stephen. So when you're looking and learning about the tooth morphology of the mandibular first and second molar, just think of even Stephen and odd Todd. So even Stephen is in the back and he's very well organized with four even cusps and two transverse ridges and four triangular ridges and everything is neatly packaged in a very square, tight, beautiful looking tooth. And then odd Todd is your little five cusp mandibular first molar where nothing quite aligns and the grooves are a little asymmetrical and everything's just a little bit discombobbled. And that is your odd Todd tooth. Hopefully this helps you remember the tooth morphology of these teeth. I'm just gonna briefly talk about the permanent mandibular third molars. They have an eruption date of 17 to 21 years with a root completion of about 18 to 25 or 28 years of age. They are smaller in all dimensions than the mandibular second molars. The mesial cusps are larger than the distal cusps and there's a lot more supplemental grooves and pits. Usually, the roots have a distal bend or are fused. When you are learning about the tooth morphology of the molars, keep in mind everything that you've learned so far. And that goes back to both form and function and some of the occlusal table features that you learned when you were discovering the tooth morphology of the premolars. A lot of this information can be applied to the molars to help you fully understand the tooth morphology. Thanks so much for listening today. Be sure to join me next time where we will be taking a close look at occlusion and malocclusion. Now that you've learned all about the tooth morphology of the molars, you're ready to put it all together and start to understand one of the most important parts of assessment as well as form and function by taking a look at occlusion. As clinicians, it's important for us to assess and properly document the occlusal assessment on all of our patients in the clinical setting. This will be a really beneficial episode for you to listen to. I hope you join me. Are you looking for study sheets? I've created study sheets that cover the content of this episode. If you're interested or that's something that's going to help you on your learning journey, you can click the link listed right in the description of these show notes. Happy studying!
I would invite you to ask any questions at all that you need answered. Sometimes questions come up when you're listening to this podcast. If you have a question, most likely someone else has the very same question. I'd be happy to answer it and would probably share it in a future podcast. Thank you.